0: Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Marco Herbst, CEO of Evercam, a construction video platform that's raised 12.8 million euros in funding. Marco, thanks for chatting with me today. Uh, Hi, Brett. Great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Super excited to chat with you. So to kick things off, can we just start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background?
1: Yes. Okay. My journey began really with our first company. We set up an online recruitment business, myself and my my current co-founder, Vinny. Uh, That was straight out of college. And it was effectively jobs for people at that stage. We had the best job ever. We were selling whiskey, getting well paid for it, going around bars, mostly giving the stuff away. And um, the company we worked for had a hard time finding people. This is way back at the beginning of the internet. And so, well, late, late 90s, we put together a site which became jobs.ie. It became the number one jobs website in Ireland. Then we both took a very extended career break. And that led me back into wanting to get back into business, wanting to work again with Vinny. And the idea we landed on was IP cameras were just coming to the fore as a technology. That's a security camera basically connected to the internet. And what we thought was interesting was the possibility for those cameras to be from more than just security. So as a pictures, as a communications tool, to see what sort of exciting things could happen if the software development world could get their hands on and work with cameras. So we started building out an API for cameras. For those who know Twilio, you might think of it as sort of a Twilio for cameras, well, mm-hmm. what Twilio did for the telephony and SMS. Long story short, you know, with these businesses, you end up going down a lot of blind alleys. And it took us a while to find our product market fit. And it led us into the construction industry. And that's where Evercam really started to get legs and, and take off. We now have a reality platform where we're bringing in all sorts of data that happens on a construction site and using it to improve the process of construction, so to improve construction productivity.
0: And some follow-up questions then on on some of those early days. Let's talk a bit more about jobs.ie. So I see it was launched January 2000, or or maybe it was before that. That's just what I see on LinkedIn. Take us back to the year 2000. What was it like building a tech company back then, and how does that compare to today?
1: Yeah. So the very first lines of code would have been I mean, me on uh, one Christmas Eve, sitting at home, and it was largely an experiment of wanting to make a website. And these things then have a nature of one thing leads to another. And we actually called it an, nixers.com. And nixer, I think that's probably just a word that's used around here. And it basically means when you, when you borrow your boss's tools and you do another job on a Saturday, you don't tell them and you don't pay tax. So it's kind of you know, like a cash-for-hand job on the side. It caught a lot of people's imagination who were looking for something part-time, freelance, that's sort of outside of the regular run of the mill. So we, mm-hmm. we built quite a successful, or at least quite a well-known website in that little niche. And as we grew that company, we had the chance to buy the company Jobs.ie. And that's really when our fortunes turned around and we, we got into mainstream online recruitment. And this is mm-hmm. back in a time when monster.com would have been the big name yeah. scene back then. I think they were already a publicly quoted company. To be honest, I was very surprised we made it. If someone had said to me at the beginning, go up against Monster, go up against like all of the established media companies in Ireland, all of whom had some form of online element to them, and you will overtake them all, I would have just said, no way. I mean, that, that's silly. It didn't make any sense. <laughs> but it's basically what we did. With no business experience, you know, we came out of college, we set up that website, and five years later, we were the number one site in Ireland. And if there was a lesson learned, it was, we were just that little bit more focused. Mm-hmm. Ireland is a small country, you know, we're 5 million people. So it would never have been a high priority for any of those bigger contenders. And we just had the agility and the stamina as well. Like We, we worked hard and we worked very well together, myself and the business partner. So yeah, we made it. And we were kind of happy and lucky to sell the business. We were still in our 20s. Then, yeah, like I say, we both took a long break and then decided we actually liked work and wanted more of it. (laughs) That was the stupid mistake. (laughs) And a few questions that we like to ask, really just to better
0: understand what makes you tick as a CEO and as a leader. First one is what CEO do you admire the
1: most and what do you admire about them? I think today, top of that list, I would have to put my current lead investor, a chap called Richard Hayes, who would be a businessman over here in Ireland. But what I'm really appreciating Is just the story is a relatively straightforward story of a a hardworking person who left sort of a trail of goodwill behind him during his career. From, I think it would be false to portray him as having dragged himself up from the streets, but basically he was doing regular work. I think he was selling garage doors for a while and he got into mortgages and had various different levels of success along the way, increasing levels of success, shall we say, like along the way, and to the point where he's now a You know, an investor in other companies. But the consistent theme there is a trail of goodwill behind him. And when he came to invest in Evercan during our last fundraising round, our, our Series A, what was really noteworthy was his insistence and his prioritization around alignment with the founders. And many investors will say that, but Richard really implemented that in that we created a very founder and employee friendly company structure. Mm-hmm. And that sort of behavior has really paid off. I've witnessed it pay off for Richard himself, and I'm enjoying the positive impact it has for me now in building Evercam and, and talking about Evercam to our employees and for myself as well. At the end of the day, we all, we all work for somebody somehow. So yeah, I think he'd be top of my list as a decent person who is giving that goodness
0: back. Amazing. I love that. What about books? Is there a specific book that's had a major impact on you
1: as a founder and both as a, as a person? Uh-huh. Okay. So I have a stock book response. Uh, it's Candide by Voltaire. And it's a, a lovely little book written about this. I think the subtitle is The Optimist. And he's a, a young man who's making his way through a crazy, unpredictable, sometimes very cruel world but he kind of retains his optimism and his enthusiasm for life and for the love of his life. And he manages to get to a very happy outcome in the end where he's tilling his garden. It's a little bit of a Forrest Gump for those who are more contemporary. You know, the story of Forrest Gump where, where he's also this sort of a decent chap. And the world and great historical events are happening all around him. Mm-hmm. But he gets there in the end. Well, my, my business partner has uh, Don Quixote tattooed on his leg who I also see as a very, very similar character, uh, you know, that we like to think we can control the events of the world around us or out-strategize. And uh, man plans, God laughs. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I love that. I haven't read that book, but I, uh, I'll i add it to my list. That sounds interesting. Oh, it's great. And it's only a short one as well. Like I have I've a pretty short attention span for things, and it's a beautiful... It's written, I think, in the 17th century, but it's an easy read today. Nice. That would be one of my questions. Sometimes guests come on and they, you know,
0: they pitch their book and it's this really interesting book. and I'll go on Amazon, like 980 pages. Like, come on, I can't read a book that's 980 pages. (laughs) Yeah. Nice. Let's switch gears and let's dive deeper into Evercam. So. I'll just share a story of you know my experience with Evercam because I think it'll paint a nice picture. So I'm an advisor for a Bitcoin mining company, and we're doing some big, big buildouts in Texas, and Sweden, in Kazakhstan. And we wanted a way to show investors the progress that we were making on the buildout. So we were looking online for solutions, found out construction cameras were a thing, live streams were an option. And that's when we reached out to Evercam. So I'm not sure if we ended up working with Evercam, but I uh, you know, packaged everything together and, and shared it with the founders of the company. So that was kind of our experience with Evercam. And when I went through it, I was like, wow, this is cool. Very cool company. love what you guys are doing and, and see how it can solve a big problem. So I say that just to open up the conversation for you to talk about you know those pain points that you're solving and really what the
1: platform does and, and who you serve. Brilliant. I love it. Yeah. Well, we're, we're in most of those countries you mentioned, so hopefully, yeah. Exactly as you said. So capturing the construction process, what we call a reality capture platform, where we started was with the video camera, uh, what most people would consider a security camera. So it's recording all the video, all the time, everything that's happening on that site. And there's an awful lot of people who care about that. So The story you told, it was progress tracking because there's some investors who probably live very far away and they want to know, when are we turning on our Bitcoin mining center? And how's that money being spent? And that's a very real scenario. We're doing exactly that. Financiers are very interested. For the early stages of the company, actually, we could trace most of our business growth back to the investor, what are called REITs, these uh, real estate groups who were looking for exactly that. The moment we knew we had a good business, finally, after actually working with cameras for quite a while, was we were filming a pharmacy being built down in the south of Ireland with American money. And it was the angry phone call at three o'clock in the morning from Texas that I was able to congratulate my business partner and say, we have found product market fit. They care. Somebody cares. It was the best three o'clock in the morning phone call I've ever had, albeit they were very angry. The camera was offline. We've built on top of that basic idea of being able to see what's going on to serve other personas on the construction site. So every it breaks project owners, there's the main contractor, subcontractors. And They all have an interest in delivering their part of the project on time and on budget. Pretty much like any project that one is working on, if you can see what's going on and you're talking to your team, you will deliver a better project. And that will do far more than just construction. And so that's what we do. Project visibility, site visibility, team communication. And the, the camera, images, video are a great tool for that. And then the layer on top that really transformed our business was the luck of timing that just in this period of history, all of these other technologies have matured. So drones are now cheap and commonplace and being used on many construction sites. The 360-degree cameras, those cameras that can go inside a building, capture all of the works going on relatively cheaply and easily. The sort of camera that does Google Street View. Various simple IoT sensors. The famous robot dog from Boston Dynamics. All of these tools are all like maturing now. and. They are finding a home, a very valuable home in the construction industry. And because we had focused on the video camera as our primary instrument, our primary sensor, what we had was the complete timeline of the construction site. So Evercam was, think of it as the air traffic control, whole story in very high resolution video, on top of which we are now able to plug in all of these other kind of specialist elements uh, to capture more and more of what's going on. And then along comes artificial intelligence, where we can actually start to understand this, find patterns, uh, do things like predictive safety, do things like automated progress tracking, and you have a really, really powerful tool. Uh, the ultimate beneficiary is the project owner, and that's who we're very focused on. And in particular, we really like those projects that we consider to be mission critical. So the semiconductor plants, the data centers, And those projects where a delay of a day is a six or a seven-figure problem, at least. And so that's what Evercam is constantly trying to do is, where can there be a delay here? Where is there a misalignment? Where is has something been built in the wrong place? Uh, Where is something not ready in order to change the schedule? And Evercam, if we can preempt that, we create enormous value for our customer. A very good analogy is the construction industry has been quite a laggard when it comes to productivity improvements, when you compare most other industries that got more faster from digitization. So in the software world, the buzzwords like agile and continuous improvement, they're all based on fast feedback loops. You write a little bit of code, you bring it to the customer, you bring it to the product owner, and you say, is this what we're looking for? And if it is, great, build the next bit. If it isn't, iterate. Right, iterate, iterate, iterate. So, these short, fast feedback loops has been really, really successful in software, also in manufacturing. I think of the, like the revolution that took place in well, most manufacturing, but cars famously. these short feedback loops, continuous improvement, catching the stakes before they become expensive. And the one industry that really struggled to do that because it's such a difficult environment was construction. And the tools didn't really exist. And now they do. So, all of that data that's coming up the construction site, it's there now in a browser, on a mobile phone, and also interpreted using the, the sort of AI models that, that we're working on so that we have this continuous feedback, this sort of bringing agile to the construction industry. And yeah, I think if I was to zone in on the heart of the value or, or, or the, the exciting part of the opportunity, it's it's that. It's catching those mistakes before they become big. And then maybe one layer on top of that, as we came from being a little Irish company working on projects over here as as we came to America and started to work with some of the biggest companies in the world where they are building hundreds of projects simultaneously. Mm -hmm. There, you get the opportunity to learn from one project and apply it to others. And that's really exciting. So when you're working with the likes of UPS now, Intel, and Microsoft, and Meta, most of the big names, I think. I think we cited the top five brands there recently. We were able to tick that box but these are all companies who are in construction mode, uh, whether it's distribution centers, or like I said, data centers, silicon plants, and globally. So to take Intel, for example, we're on all continents with them and their construction knowledge from America needs to be applied and equally in Malaysia and in Tel Aviv and in Berlin and in Dublin. Yes. So that with scale comes these new opportunities.
0: Yeah. So a few follow-up questions then to unpack that. You know, first one was, this reminded me of something that I read in the book, The Future is Faster Than You Think by Peter Diamandis. He talks about you know, innovation, and he says that a lot of the greatest innovation that's come, it's a matter of the convergence of all of these emerging technologies getting to the point that they just work at the exact same time. And then someone comes in and captures it at that exact moment, and then it's a rocket ship. And the example he had was Uber. And he was like, uh, I think it was GPS technology was the example he had. It was GPS, it was mobile, and like three or four other technologies where they all just were at that perfect point where it could come together and then Uber was just able to work because of that. And if GPS hadn't been where it was or mobile or the iPhone hadn't come out, it would have never worked. So is that the case for you? And it sounds like you're right there at that perfect moment when all of these technologies are
1: really maturing. Yes, absolutely. It's that confluence and also meeting an industry that had a big problem. As a April, my construction knows that it has fallen behind. And especially, you know, here in America, here in Europe, where, you know, we have these very high profile projects that we're just struggling to deliver, big infrastructure projects that, that we need, road, hospital, rail, and so on. So yes, that's the lucky
0: break we got. I love it. And then the follow-up there is, yeah, why do you think the construction industry is a laggard here? And, and why are they so slow to embrace new technology?
1: Right. I puzzle with that a lot. As far as I, I think I know the answer, but I think about it a lot because everybody who's now in this hot space of construction technology, you know, opens with that slide where we are comparing construction productivity to every other industry. And one thing I know for sure is it's not to do with construction-phobic people. Like the people in the construction industry, they are essentially engineering-minded people. These are people who like technology and are good with technology by any reasonable standard. But- The nature of the industry is very unrewarding to mistakes. On a construction project, you might have an 18-month deadline to deliver your project. And the cost of trying something new and it not working just outweighs the reward. And so you're incentivized every single time to take the path of least risk. And when you continue to take the path of least risk, you fall behind. I think it's just as simple as that. Because most construction happens on that basis, as it, like on the basis of I have one project to deliver and my reputation will be built on the delivery of my last project. So nobody really has the ability to, you know, experiment at scale or to take big risks, really, on whether it's on materials or processes or whatever. And I think what's new now is asking with EverCam, we're not really asking people to take a risk. You know, the cost of a technology like ours is marginal to the cost of the building or to the cost of a delay or the cost of a mistake or the cost of a court case. That's relatively minor. And the payback is almost instant. We, on average, on on an average project that we're working on, we'd have about 30 daily active users on our system. So that's 30 people who are working on site, uh, working back in HQ, who belong to the project owner, uh, up to the contractor, subcontractors who somehow or other, every single day, are getting a value touchpoint by checking what's going on using Evercamp or checking what went on using Evercamp, solving some part of their daily stack of problems. Finally, we have something that is not really asking them to take a risk and is giving them a reward. And that just didn't exist in Evercamp. And then with the benefit of the tool, it's easier also to prove your case. So as we find improvements on a to use the example of Shell, one of our clients, where they're building oil infrastructure all around the world. As they're able to get better safety outcomes on a project in Singapore, those learnings can be applied on a project in Australia. And they've got the training material to do it. And they've got the, the, the kind of the video evidence, hard evidence. Yeah, I think, I think that's my answer to that. Why was construction productivity laggard? Through no fault of its own, certainly through no fault of the people working in construction, but it was the, just the nature of the high risk, low reward.
0: And just to visualize your deployment and when you roll out the cameras, how many cameras are there typically on site? Is it just like four, like covering kind of like the corners Mm -hmm. of the
1: project or how many cameras are deployed? Right. So ever increasing, it's, it's one of the KPIs we track is how many meter squares are we tracking and pixel per meter squared and so on. Our average would have been in and around two. But as the company has grown, so we have taken on bigger projects, bigger companies and I think twenty-seven is our largest project right now. The cameras generally are positioned around the outside. Uh, increasingly now we go inside for the, the filling of the data center, the filling of the, the battery plant, the filling of the semiconductor plant. Yeah. So it, it varies a lot and it also has to do with a lot of what the customer's trying to get. You know, if I'm just trying to report back progress to investors, one or two cameras on the outside is probably what I'm trying to get out of it. If I'm really deeply concerned with tracking The process of construction and learning from that, I put in more cameras. And if
0: I have that right, it sounds like this is really almost like construction cameras 2.0, where you had 1.0 was just about the capture of video, but you're adding on this intelligence layer now. So you're actually going to come in and say, here's what you can do based on everything that we're capturing.
1: Is that correct? Yes. That's a really interesting part of the story because we also had the benefit to some degree of an existing market. You, pretty much any city in the world, there is somebody out there who would have put a GoPro or a, a photographer's camera, a DSLR camera, overlooking a site, and either would have been you know, changing batteries, changing SD cards, or configured something to upload images, one every couple of minutes. So the concept of keeping an eye on your construction site already existed. But to use your example of Uber, we already knew what a taxi was. They were just kind of rather annoying and hard to find. And Uber made it better. Mm -hmm. And that's the benefit we had in scaling the business is we didn't really need to totally sell a new concept, especially in America, where it was actually a very well-established concept. The idea that you would get one image every 10 minutes uploaded and you could go and check through the folder. All we did is make it magnitude better by recording all the video all the time, applying AI, bringing in all these other technologies and just the same but better. And this is probably a dumb question, but are you a hardware and software company or is it just software and you're getting the hardware from someone else? What the customer gets is the whole experience. Mm -hmm. What we are constantly trying to do is not be a hardware company, Mm -hmm. Uh, but the reality is a lot of our knowledge and a lot of what we've done well is is sort of make good pragmatic choices around hardware. And, you know, we've learned what works in Azerbaijan and Hawaii, and New York, Sydney. But we like to think of ourselves as a software company and the hardware is just an enabling piece of it. We do not manufacture any hardware. We rely on off-the-shelf parts because that is just moving so fast and we benefit more by buying the latest available on any particular day and making that work with Evercam than we would if we were to start production cycle ourselves. It's constantly tempting, but I, I think to date, I'm glad with our approach, which you might call a hybrid approach. The customer is definitely experiencing the full, beautiful solution, turning up on site for them, hardware installed and the software experience. But within that, we just work with hardware partners and stick to whatever is the latest and best.
0: Well, it's a whole nother beast, right? When you get into the hardware business, that's
1: a that's a very different animal than than doing software. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's fun and interesting and fascinating. But as they say, hardware is hard. (laughs) It's in the name. And is there a services component then as well with this? Yeah, there is. So the camera gets installed for the and mm-hmm. uh, We would use a network of subcontractors for that. And as we sort of build out the part of our business that involves BIM, uh, BIM is building information modeling. Mm-hmm. It's what, what you might think of as the architect's drawings, mm-hmm. except they're not architect's drawings. They're three-dimensional models that actually include the schedule and all the, the detailed information of, the materials that are being used and the supply chain, we work with those models. And there is an element of optimizing the model to suit what we do, sometimes filling in gaps where a customer can get more value from their model by adding in a little bit more in advance. So the services component is definitely there. And it's sort of a question on on our desks at the moment from a strategy point of view, how much do we want to lean into that? And right now we're enjoying leading into that. So every customer problem that comes on our desk, we are doing our best to solve it, whether that is a service-based solution or AI or whatever it takes. Effectively, I mean, the customer pays a software fee and we are doing an element of services around that. You mentioned there are some really impressive companies and
0: looking at the site, there's some really impressive logos, as I'm sure you experienced in the early days, you know, capturing those logos and really earning the trust of early customers is not easy to do. What do you think you got right? How were you able to earn trust with those customers?
1: Consistency is a big one. You know, we're very serious about what we do and it's been a gradual process. You know, this is one of those overnight 10-year successes. I first got my hands on a camera in 2010, and we're 13 years later now. The nature of the business is complex. You have to get an awful lot of things right in order to deliver the end result. Very easy to put together a pitch deck to show a camera and show some AI and list off a bunch of problems in the industry. But to actually make that camera work, keep it online, is as hard, if not harder, than it is to training the algorithms to detect certain activities in the video stream so the mundane problems or what seem like mundane problems to have the tenacity to continue to solve them which then allow us to go on and solve the very predicting when a building is going off schedule you have to do both and i think once people realized that we were we were here for the long haul and we didn't mind getting our hands dirty where necessary that was I guess the differentiating factor,
0: and just looking at Crunchbase, yeah, you know, it looks like started in 2013, and then there wasn't really significant funding until 2020. So I don't know if that's accurate, but that's you know a seven-year stretch that you were persevering there and pushing, you know, without major funding coming in. What was that seven-year period like, and were there any like dark times or near-death experiences as you were building the business to get to the point that it was ready for? more investment, they'll make
1: me go back there. <laughs> it's a dark place. <laughs> so uh, what I do know clear- clearly is that when I originally set out 20- 2010, uh, my preference would have been to have not taken in any external capital. And I thought initially I was putting together a business that would have allowed us to operate as an entirely bootstrap company because we also still had a bit of money left over from our first business. And we were lost in the desert for quite a while. Like, in the first business... We, sort of cloud CCTV, we just didn't really have the market side of product market fit. And then as things moved on, we didn't have the product side of product market fit. And then it was really only 2016, that that call we got from Texas, where we could comfortably say we had product market fit. I definitely didn't know it would be this hard. I thought we had made all of our mistakes in our first business. And it turned out there was a whole lot of new mistakes to be made. So it has been tough. But, you know, the, like the greater the effort, the greater the reward. and. I think we're able to look back on it now with pride, with hindsight. I can see how each learning, you know, brought us incrementally forwards. So it didn't necessarily feel like that at the time. You get a lot of help along the way. There's an awful lot of goodwill amongst the startup community, which is very inspiring and encouraging. And I think myself and Vinny were also very fortunate that well, we're able to rely on each other rock solid. But also, and worth mentioning, that I guess the biggest benefit of success is the ability to then gather in just great talent around you. With Vinny, we had the the benefit of hindsight of our previous business and so on. But since we've hit this construction path, Evercam is now bustling with extreme talent. You have very motivated people. There's a beautiful collaborative atmosphere to take on these hard problems. That's the joyful bit. The hard part is it's lonely when it's before the business starts to work. It's still hard, As in, you know, we are still daily facing difficult, difficult problems, but we are now doing it with the benefit of a team of 120-something people who are motivated and into it and here for the right reasons. So, yeah, it's easier together, something like that. (laughs) And what would you say excites you most about the work you get to do every day? Right. Technically, it's just fascinating. I am the product side of the company, what do you call a product CEO, and if you could have given me my dream as a 10-year-old, it would have been probably to be running some kind of globally significant business. We really are working with all the biggest companies in the world, doing something that they really care about. I'm working on hard problems. like It's all the latest technologies. Um, if, a, if a paper is published in AI on Monday, you know we are paying attention to that paper in order to bring that learning into the product by the end of the week. So we're using AI, we're using streaming video, we're using IoT, we're using these BIM models, three-dimensional models in the browser, everything that is basically hard all in one package and the privilege of working on it with some of the brightest people out there. So hard problems tend to attract clever people. And just thank goodness there's also the final necessary piece of the puzzle, which is customers who are prepared to pay for it.
0: It must be nice too that there's something out there in the real world, right? I think a lot of companies, it's, you know, a software widget that just exists on a website or a, a chat bot and you're, you don't get to like touch it and see it and feel it. But I feel like what's unique about what you're doing is it's,
1: it's out there in the real world and you can see it, you can touch it. I'm sure that- absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, like we think a lot about what is our common culture, you know, what has brought this group of people together and what is it that we share that, you know, gives us the desire to keep going. And I think it's common to our industry and something that I really, really enjoy about the construction industry is we are all builders. And whether you are a bricklayer or an architect or the billionaire who has commissioned the building, there is a real joy in clocking off at the end of the day and being able to look over your shoulder and say, "I built that. That is there because of me." And it's a, uh-huh. it's a real physical object and and even Evercam you know we are not the builders, but we're celebrating the builders we are loving their work and helping them to do a better job. So we very much feel like we're part of that, that building process. I love that. All right. Final question. I know
0: we're, uh, we're over on time here. Let's zoom out into the future. So three to five years from
1: today, what does the company look like? We already have a global footprint. So we're working across all the time zones. We are still a tiny company compared to the size of this market. It's, it's very hard to really overestimate how important and how big construction is. Construction is 13% of global GDP. One in every seven people who have a job work in construction. It's just a huge industry. So we want to be the category creator for what we're doing. And we appear to be very well positioned for that. And I think if we do our job right, we will not just be the reality capture company, but who is going to be the company that helps us to design the better buildings of the future It'll be the company that has all of the data about how we did construction in the past. So I guess what I'm really excited about over that sort of five-year horizon is where we start to impact predictive construction and actually improve building future building processes based on the learnings of what we're gathering today. And is predictive construction that category that you're looking to create? Have you named it yet? It's reality capture. And it's a complete reality capture platform. It's the idea that today we still largely live in a siloed world where there are point solutions based on specific technologies. And I think whatever comes proven is people don't really care what's taking the photograph, what's capturing the image, what's capturing the data. They just want to see it all in one place, all brought together and put into context. So this concept of, of the reality capture platform is what we believe is new the category we're creating. And that creates the visual twin, which is the, the complete representation of everything that took place on that construction site. Amazing.
0: Makes a lot of sense. And I, I love that. All right, Marco, we are up on time. So we're going to have to wrap here. Unfortunately, before we wrap, if people want to follow along with your journey, where should they go?
1: Search for Evercam, and you will find one of our regional sites. My name is Marco at evercount.io. I'd be delighted to hear from anyone who has an interest in this business or this industry. And we are are not hard to find. In fact, if you're on a construction site, there's a good chance we're looking at you.
0: (laughs) A little creepy, but I I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Marco, thanks so much for taking the time to chat and talk about what you're building and and share some of those lessons that you learned along the way. I feel like you were very real and, and open in the interviews. And I think our audience always appreciates when someone comes in and they don't just bullshit us with fluffy answers. So thanks for uh, being authentic and real. And I really enjoyed the conversation and I know our audience is going to as well. So thanks so much and wish you best of luck in executing on this vision. Brilliant. Thank you, Brett.